0: Hey, what's up, friends, Graham Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. Today we got a uh, we got a, a blast from the past. We're going back in the archives, and basically what we're doing here is we're going to be revisiting some of your favorites from the show. So uh, we've been doing the show for several years now. We have literally hundreds and hundreds of podcast episodes, hundreds of hours of content. And I know a handful of you may have listened to every single episode. Thanks, mom. But uh, most of you have not. So we wanted to go back to some of the archives, find some of our the, the the most popular, some of your favorite episodes, and uh, just share those. With with you, all right. So today we're going to be uh, having an episode that we did several years ago with Jason Hewlett, uh, all about how to get started as a speaker. And while he has found great success as a professional speaker and entertainer, he really struggled with how to get started. And so, and in this episode, Jason's going to share how he made his dream a reality by establishing a plan and taking clear action to find his niche in the industry. Jason also addresses the value of a keynote, how to build a business from scratch with integrity, the importance of building relationships with others in this profession, and so so much more. If you're ready to take the next step in your speaking career, but you could use some encouragement and practical next steps, this is the place to start. So let's go back in the time machine. Let's hop in the DeLorean, go back in the archives, get to it. Here's my conversation from the past with Jason Hewlett. Enjoy. Hey, what's up, my friends? Grant Baldwin here today, joined by my buddy, Jason Hewlett, who is a uh, professional speaker, entertainer, and all around good dude. Is that a fair way to put it? You need to put that in your inter- introduction. Just all around. I'm using good. that. That's my new intro. Thanks There it me. is. There it is. I, we just wrote it for you right there. How you doing, man?
1: I'm great. This is awesome. I love your podcast. I love all the work you do. Very cool to be involved.
0: Thanks, man. I appreciate you, uh, you saying that. I appreciate you taking a minute to, uh, to chat with us. So for, uh, let's start with this kind of big picture. Uh, what do you do as a speaker? How many speaking gigs are you doing? What kind of audiences are you speaking to? What do you speak about? Give us that high level view.
1: Yeah. So I'm a keynote speaker. I prefer the closing keynote slot, but I'm happy to do wherever they need me. I've I've
0: actually, (laughs) why is that? Why why is that? Because I know some people who love the opening and some people who love the closing and there's pros and cons with both. The reason for the closing, in my opinion, is
1: because of the way that I weave in family messaging. And so I am now making them rush home to keep promises with their family. And this is a part of the, keynote that the client did not purchase, they don't realize they're getting that as an added benefit. And so as an opening keynote, I can actually, uh, you know, create the theme and help out with all that throughout the event. But as a closer, it's really fun to send them away with this idea of, you know, family and want to recommit to them and so forth. And so, yeah, I would, I would say I'm averaging between 50 and 60 keynotes per year, And for years, I was doing around 200 dates a year as both entertainer, speaker, master of ceremonies. That included everything from cruise ships to public shows to county fairs and then uh, speaking at schools and everything else. So I did that for probably, I would say, between 2003 and 2012 as mostly an entertainer. And then I have transitioned into being a keynote speaker and so that's my main shtick and gig now. And I speak about the promise that we make to our audience, to ourselves and to our family. And so this is a this is just a very basic concept, but it's obviously wrapped around this entertainment presentation that makes everybody go, Well this is exciting, this is fun, and they're laughing, and they're engaged and then they I slam at home with this concept of commitment.
0: <laughs> Now, what kind of audiences are you typically speaking to? Or what what industry are you working in?
1: I'm finding really that a lot of it is the IT industry, oddly enough, and the healthcare industry. Because why why I say oddly enough is because typically IT guys are not your most responsive as far as clapping and laughing.
0: Yeah, totally. However,
1: I do this whole bit about uh, how nerdy IT guys are and we all laugh about it and then they're fully engaged. And it's fun to hear the clients say, we've never seen our IT team not pick up their phone for a full hour and and be zoned out. Instead, they're watching and engaged with you. That's a cool compliment. So that's what's been happening as a keynoter for them. And I used to do mostly multi-level marketing and direct sales companies as either an MC or a showman for those. So it's been an interesting switch as a keynoter.
0: And I want to talk through some of that switch, but before we get there, let's kind of backtrack for a second. What were you doing uh, pre-entertainer days? You know
1: what? I was just a kid. I had nothing going on other than just going into my my new world. I was a missionary for my church. lived in Brazil for two years. That was wow. exciting. Learned Portuguese, and then when I got home, I talked to all these older men, and I said, "What would you do with your life if you could do it over?" And they all told me. I would go back and go for a dream that was crazy, that I never got to because I established a career instead. And I and so I just thought, well then I should go for it. So I I started with the Las Vegas Legends and concert and became an entertainer, a Ricky Martin impersonator and Elton John impersonator in Las Vegas for them. And then that, that's how my career started. So I've never had a real job, man.
0: That's cool. All right. So you do the entertainment thing for a little while. How long are you in Vegas doing that?
1: I was just back and forth for about a year until I received an offer to have my own one-man show of impressions and music and comedy. And that was really my whole goal all along was to be a headliner in Vegas. And as I'm meeting with different casinos, I'm realizing they had a different audience than I had for myself. And I had made a promise long ago my show would always be clean and family friendly yeah. and at the time Vegas was leaving their whole we family concept that wasn't working and going into what happens in Vegas, stays right, in Vegas. Right. and it just didn't match up with what I was working toward and so when I was offered some pretty cool deals um, I, I just kind of walked away and said well I'll just go do my own thing and, and run around the country as a corporate entertainer so that's that's why no one's ever heard of me <laughs> <laughs>
0: So how do you go that like? How do you make that transition? Because uh, let's say you're at that point in Vegas where you're 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 doing the uh, you're doing the impressions, you're doing the shows, and you're like, okay, I see, I I enjoy doing this. I see how I could probably do better or make more or enjoy it more if I was doing my own thing and I'm kind of in control of my own destiny. But that's not like i I'm going to quit my job on Friday from Vegas and then all of a sudden Monday I've got a full calendar of corporate entertainment gigs. Like how do you begin to make that transition?
1: Yeah, what really happened is I went from kind of the cream of the crop of who was up and coming in Las Vegas to now all of a sudden being blacklisted completely and not ever wow. getting another opportunity there because I turned it away. And so when I moved back to Utah, which is a very conservative place to live and, and I'm, I'm of the same culture, uh, all of a sudden I just figured I could be the family entertainment guy for these folks here. And so I created this show. And I was doing a lot of free events to create that, and that's what I teach to everybody that asked. you know, how did you get all of your gigs? How did you start? I just did as many as possible. Mm-hmm. And and was it Steve Martin that said, hey, be so good, they can't right. ignore you? Right. And so that's what I worked on, was just becoming the best entertainer they'd ever had at an event. And whether it was a birthday party that led to a school, that led to a carnival, that led to a corporate event, that's kind of how it all built up. And really the 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 great thing that i was good at was being amazing on stage doing something that was clean for families and corporations and then i had incredible follow-up so i i found that all i had to do is become friends with the clients the next thing i know is they would bring me back every single event they needed and then when they left that company they'd take me over there and everybody was doing that that i became friends with and so it's really an organic situation, how it all began.
0: Yeah, this is such a, a relationship-based business and relationships just take time. And so, yeah, you can, it's oftentimes uh, interesting and fascinating when you you book some gig today that you can really trace the roots back to three, four, five, ten 10 years ago. That's really, really hard to reverse engineer at times from a marketing perspective of, ah, if I just do this and then I meet that person and I kill it in that random thing. And then their cousin sees me and all of a sudden it leads to where I am today. That's really, really hard to do, but it sounds like just a lot of persistence over time is is really what's built it up. So I'm curious then what you're doing a lot of those free entertainment gigs, just building your name, building the show and starting to like figure some things out. What are you doing at at that time though, to like to pay bills and eat and live indoors and make ends meet?
1: I made just enough with those events, you know, a hundred here, 500 there, a thousand here, 2,500 there. It it was very hard to push the Utah corporate market up at probably around 2005 or six to get it up to a, a $5,000 level for an entertainer that's unknown, unproven, and, and doesn't have any name value. That's what I was able to do in the market. Yeah. And when I got to that point, then all of a sudden things were good. But yeah, those were some hairy days for sure. Waiting for the, for the money to come in. But I realized if I did 200 days a year, I could string enough together to be able to pay the bills. And that really did work. So it was a serious hustle and no sleep, no family time, no, no opportunity to really create because I had already created what it was. And so yeah. I was just racing back and forth to every single event until finally it started to hit where I was like, man, I can get 5000 per gig. Yeah. Now I can lay back a little bit. And then all of a sudden the recession hits. And what happened is all my speaker buddies, like, had no work, whereas because I was an entertainer, and what we know in in recessions is that people want entertainment, and so I was still making a really good living during the recession, very interesting, And, and eventually realized that, man, if I just couple this with a leadership message, which people were requesting, that I could be an entertaining speaker, and they would still bring me in. So that worked out well in that case
0: interesting yeah I want to come back and talk some more about that as well but um, so you are you're doing the entertainment thing uh, how are you finding gigs at that point or it sounds like it's just a, it's a lot of because of the volume that you're doing is it just a lot of word of mouth is there any particular industry or niche or topic that you're you're working are you is it more uh, corporate or churches or colleges or schools or just kind of like anybody who would allow me to come in I'm um, sign me up I'm in for that's
1: what it was and I I see the frustration in the faces of the young entertainer or young speaker that's asking me how I did it, because when I tell them what I did as far as performing at birthdays and weddings and places you would never want to perform as a performer, I was doing that. And I had other friends and mentors that were magicians that were doing five or six parties per day. And I realized those guys are just doing volume, so should I. And so when I tell somebody new coming in, hey, this is what I did. This is how it worked for me. They look at me like I'm insane. And I just say, hey, you know, I don't have a better marketing strategy for you other than be awesome and go give it away as much as possible. And eventually they'll start paying you. And so as far as what the industries were, yeah, what you just said, it was everything everywhere. I would jump on a cruise ship for 10 days and make $3,500 and over the 10-day trip, and then I'd come back to Utah, and I would do, uh, you know, a fair and a and a and five assemblies at schools, and then I would go do a corporate event. And the as assemblies at schools were $500 for five assemblies, you know, yeah. all together. Yeah. And then I'd do a corporate date for 5000 that night. When people wonder about, well, where's the integrity of the fee? The question is, can I still give back? And what I would say to the corporations is I would say, you guys are paying me my full fee, which I appreciate so much. And that allows me to give back to the community. that could never afford it. So I'm going and performing for the military, for the, you know, the old folks home and, and telling the corporations, you're providing this service to people. And that actually made them want to help me more. It's very interesting.
0: That is fascinating. So the, the show that you would come in and do from an entertainment perspective, because it sounds like, again, you do, it sounds like you do a couple of different things. You do the impressions. I know you do some singing. You, uh, you, you got a few different uh, uh, things in the bag of tricks there. So it's not like he's a, a magician or he's a hypnotist. He, he does a few different things there. So why were people bringing you in? Uh, like what, what's in a typical event or a typical setting? What slot would you fill for them?
1: So, at the beginning of my career, I was the after dinner entertainment. Okay. And that was at the end of an award show, usually. And so, what I then eventually realized is after I'm doing all this entertainment at the end of the awards banquet, I would then resell them for the next year because they would say, How do we find someone that's this good, that's this price, that's this clean? And I would say, There's nobody. Bring me back.
0: And I know a so guy. <laughs>
1: yeah. And so, they'd bring me back, but this time, They would say, you know, can you emcee the whole event? Sure. And then the next year they'd say, can you maybe give a speech? Sure. So then I would be keynote in the morning. I'd emcee the whole event through the day. And then I would be the show at night. I mean, there was nobody that I knew at the time that was doing anything like this. And it was just the ability to have enough content that they could actually say, gosh, we could bring him back over and over again. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I was doing.
0: So one of the things we talk about on the show sometimes is that that event planners and event organizers, they're in the risk mitigation business. And so if they have seen you before, uh, if they have someone who has seen you before, or even better, if they have worked with you before, then they just know like, that's a low risk thing. We like Jason. We want to work more with Jason. And so if you have all these other things that you could do in all these other capacities, because oftentimes with conferences, as you well know you may come in and do a great job from a keynote perspective, and they're like, That was phenomenal. We'll call you in three to five years and have you back because they want some other speakers or they want some different faces. But if you have other things and other ways that they could use you, it certainly makes you more valuable in ways that makes it a lot more likely that they're going to bring you back the following year rather than, rather than having to wait multiple years before they bring you back.
1: And this is why it's been tricky for somebody to be my uh, agent, for example, or or to work with bureaus for me is because I have so much direct work that has always spun back. Yeah. And I've, I've been the master of ceremonies for some companies anywhere from seven to ten years in a row. And, awesome. and all I'm doing is just coming back with the same who I am, but, but also new ideas, new bits, new ways of bringing it all together. So they like that. I don't actually offer the MC uh, thing as much anymore just because it's so much work. I went from just doing award ceremonies to then doing like the evening to then doing three days. And I just said, man, this is crazy amounts of work and the pay I could just stand up and do an hour of keynote right. versus three days and get paid a little bit more. And yeah. so I only do that for a very slight few amount of companies, but you're right. They as event planners are putting their lives on the line and bringing you in. And so what I like to help them realize it's not just me on stage you're getting you're getting like a a professional event planner to work with you who can also jump up on stage and fill in when Chuck Norris's plane doesn't arrive on time Mm -hmm. and and can also fill in when uh, you know Led Zeppelin's uh, tribute band doesn't show up on time and so that's how my career has continued to thrive
0: are you speaking from experience have those two scenarios actually happened
1: oh yeah yeah (laughs) So, okay.
0: So I'm curious. It sounds like then you are, you're doing the entertaining thing today. You're doing a lot more keynotes. Um, was the MC kind of the transition from point A to point B of they just think of me in this entertainment role. They don't quite think of me as a keynoter yet. And so an MC is a good way to kind of bridge the gap.
1: Great question. I really had to sell the idea of me being a keynote because when you're known as the Jim Carrey guy, you know, Hey, he's so funny. (laughs) like. That's what they knew me as. They're like, how can he be a keynote? Right. But we know he's sophisticated enough to run our events as the MC. And so it's, it really has taken a lot, a lot of work to create this keynote concept. And I've had to build my business pretty much from scratch with an all new industry, all new everything as the speaker. So, yeah, well, I, guess, I guess you would say there was a little transition there with me being an MC and proving. That I could be competent enough on a stage, but really those groups that used me as an MC, sometimes they would give me the mic when you know the CEO is too scared to go out there, or the guy didn't show up that was their keynote because you know he's getting eighty grand and he doesn't care about their company, but I'm standing there and they need to fill forty minutes, and I'd go out and do my keynote they'd never heard, and then knock their socks off, and then. That's kind of how this keynote thing is really started to roll.
0: So was the idea that, um, or, or did it, I guess the kind of the, almost the genesis of it come from the fact that you're doing the entertainment stuff. You really enjoy it. It's a volume game. So you have to just do a lot of things. So you're gone a lot. Sounds like, and I know that there's a, a lot of speakers that were mutual friends with there in Utah. Are you starting just to see like, oh, dang, there, you're, you got paid how much to do? what? I could do that, you know? Is it more of that or was it just you were gone so much or where did it kind of begin to make the transition of mentally of even just like, I like entertaining, it's a lot of fun, but I feel like I could do it in this different way and maybe do it more effectively and efficiently?
1: Yeah, those are great questions. The, those speakers were friends of mine ever since I began my career because I joined the National Speakers Association chapter in 2003. So I knew what they were all doing. My kind of end goal was to be a type of Tony Robbins meets Zig Ziglar meets Jim Carrey and Billy Joel, like this (laughs) thing that no one had ever seen before. I wanted to get to the speaking world. And it was so hard to break out of entertainment guy and become speaker guy. And so there were a couple reasons. First of all, my dad's a great speaker. I wanted to be like him. And I I grew up reading all the great books, The Greatest Salesman in the World, Think and Grow Rich, As a Man Thinketh. And so I always wanted to be the speaker. But there was, because of the volume of the work I did as an entertainer, there was a time when my hero in Las Vegas died at the age of 50. His Uh name was Danny Gans. And it was because he was using his voice to such a degree, he had to take certain things synthetically to... Keep on a stage every single night, destroying himself, and then, in perfect looking health, he died and then a month later, Michael Jackson at fifty died mm-hmm. and I went to the doctor after I had been killing my voice, doing all I was doing a hundred voice impressions per show, like anywhere from Led Zeppelin. hey, hey mama, I can make you, too, mama, you know. All the way to what a wonderful world you know so i'm like destroying my vocal cords mm-hmm. i went to the doctor in my 30s and i was like hey i'm coughing up blood after the shows what's going on and he's like you're destroying your gift and you got to change that and he said so you better make a career shift now at the time i'm making six figures i was doing well and I'm doing a million shows. you know. And I said, well, what am I supposed to do? And that was when my wife and I decided we're going to cut back on a lot of things financially and see if I can make it as a speaker. It's been a long transition, but there were some major reasons as to why to do it. I I hope that explains a little
0: bit. Yeah, totally. So you have um, a variety of different reasons, including a potential health scare there and just kind of this Aha moment, uh, not, not necessarily in a good way. It sounds like of like the the path I'm on, although I enjoy it, is not leading to a destination that I really want to go to. So, you decide to to make a run at it as a speaker. But to your point, you mentioned that it felt like you were starting over. I built this huge business as an entertainer. All these I have all these relationships and these clients. They don't necessarily take me seriously as a speaker, or they don't feel like maybe I'm. You know, Jason, we want to keep working with you, but like why don't you stay over there and the the bounce house that you've created. And uh, I don't know that we have a a fit for you over here. So like, how do you overcome that? How do you like if people, and I, and I I say that not just from an entertainment to a, a speaker transition, but I know of other speakers who have said, okay, I speak to, um, I talked to a speaker recently who said, I I speak primarily to colleges and I'm making the, the transition to corporate and it's just hard to be taken seriously. And I've been pigeonholed in this role and now I'm trying to go to that role. And so trying to make that segue. So what did that process look like for you?
1: Okay. So I talked with a guy recently that's doing the exact same thing. The advice that I told him from the colleges to the corporate was I said, if, if they can't pay you, you need to go in there and just prove that you're good. You need to capture the footage. You need to start from scratch. Go do an afternoon if they won't give you the evening slot. Go do a training meeting if they're not going to give you the main stage at their event. Do whatever it takes to get in front of people. If you're actually good, you will eventually make this work. And I, I swear to you, Grant, that is what I have done. I have gone into these businesses and said to them, even my old clients who loved me and hired me 10 times as the entertainer and 10 times as the MC, And I'd say, I want to come speak. And they'd go, ha, 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 loser, you know, and I'd say, just bring me in. So then I said, let me do your afternoon leadership meeting on a Monday. All you're losing is 45 minutes if I stink, And then I, I, I swear to you, this just has happened in the last two years. I went in, did the leadership meeting, they flipped out. I came in, did the manager's meeting, they flipped out. I did all these for free. They had paid me in the past. So it was okay for me to say, I'm giving back. Now, I, I swear to you, two days ago, they called and said, we want you as our opening keynote speaker for the kickoff. We have your full fee. We're so excited to have you. And I thought, oh my gosh, I've just recreated what I did as an entertainer. Yeah. All I had to do is get in front of them because I, I tell you, as important as video is, that's not going to convince any of my clients to have me. I create something that has to be experienced. It just does. I don't say it well on a video. It doesn't come across. We're yeah. still trying, but you get me in a room. I'll create electricity and energy that they'll be like, what do we do next time? In fact, I had a client the other day that after I had done the event, they said, we're either going to cancel next year or we need you back. And I was like, man, that's the keynoter. Like, how did this happen? That's just called grunt hard work. That's all it is.
0: So do you feel like as you're making that transition that there are times that you want to quit or that you want to give up? Because that sounds like that's a very, very humbling transition of you want to be like, do you know who I am? Or do you, do you know who I, I am over there to those people? And but yet, still to then they're like we've worked with you you're great you're phenomenal but we just don't see it you're like oh come on just give me a shot so like how humbling is it is it or do you have moments where you're like screw it like the keynote route just isn't worth it it's worth let's just stay in the entertainment lane i can just do that and we'll you know figure it out so what like what's going to go through your head during that transition
1: yeah i mean for the last four years i've thought about quitting every week it's been brutal (laughs) you know it's weird if you can see up here. And and obviously, this is on this is a the recording. But on the video that we're recording, you can see my CPAE Speaker Hall of Fame trophy right up there on my shelf. Now, imagine me coming to somebody and saying, "I'm in the Speaker Hall of Fame," and they go, "Well, what? You're the entertainer guy." (laughs) And so, even with that, I remember when I got that award, the next week I went to an event and they had demoted me. From what I thought I was doing to, uh, you know, I thought I was going to be their keynoter yeah. and their MC, and they demoted me to doing uh, on-the-street interviews with an iPhone. It was, it was embarrassing. I mean, yeah. but, yeah, this is a humbling business. And if we're humble enough to listen to what they say to help us improve rather than quit, then that's all this is about. If we're humble enough to watch a video of ourselves after we've given a keynote, and we see the evaluation forms that say, this guy stinks. And you watch it and you go, they're right. I do stink. But I know I can get better. Yeah. And all I have to do is continually improve. This is just a constant improvement opportunity. And that's how I've looked at it. It's been really fun. Although it's devastating, it's fun.
0: Right, right, right. There's those days where you, you come off stage and you're like, I, I legit killed it. That went really well. And then there's days you're like, I I just need to go get a job at Walmart. Like this is just, this is not good for my self-esteem and my emotional health right now and, and, and everything in between. So, all right. One thing I'm curious about is you come from an entertainment background. Uh, when I speak personally, I love using comedy. Comedy is a great way to connect with an audience. It's a great way to build that rapport and connection. But it's also really easy to get addicted to that to the point where you air way more on the side of entertainment and comedy to the point where like those evaluations are like the guy was super entertaining. Jason was great. I didn't really learn anything, but I laughed a lot. So how do you find that balance today of, yeah, I'm going to really entertain you. I'm going to, I'm going to make you laugh, but I'm also going to give you something practical and tangible that you can leave with. So how do do you find that balance? That's a killer of thought
1: because you know, that's, that's what the evaluation forms have been saying for the last few years. And you know, Grant, I get it. If I don't get a standing ovation at an event. It's very, it's very rare. And I don't remember the last time I didn't get a standing ovation at an event, you know? And that's just kind of what I've been able to do as the entertainment speaker guy. But when I see those evaluation forms saying he's just entertaining, there's no content, that really hurts. And so what I did was uh, I actually contacted a guy who is the complete opposite person and speaker of me. He's a friend of mine named Stephen Shapiro. He's a Hall of Fame speaker. He's brilliant. He speaks, you know, about all of these things that I would never be able to conceive in my brain of speaking on right. analytical and, and, and so forth. And so what, what we did is we actually went to Las Vegas and we stayed in a hotel room for three days and we watched each other's presentation through the eyes of each other, how we could add, I could add entertainment to his. And I could add storytelling to his and performance where he took mine and he said, dude, this is so entertaining. There's no content here that's actually a process that can be taken away. What is your process? He helped me mine the process out. Now I have an actual process, man, like a cycle that people can utilize in their in their business. And it's so simple, but it was like that was not being delivered. We did that in August, Grant, and it is now the end of November. And here's the thing. My evaluations went from he's entertainment. He's entertainment based, but very little content. Now, all of a sudden, it's he is the funniest, entertaining speaker we've ever seen and the best, easiest, applicable content I've ever seen on the same evaluation form. It's crazy. I've been, I've been thrilled with it, but I had to see it through the eyes of someone opposite of me instead of just talking to my entertainment speaker friends. I had to go to a guy who's talking about innovation and things I don't even think about. Does that make sense?
0: Yep, absolutely. How important has it been for you to connect and network with other speakers in your space?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, that's that's the best part. We're all flying around like eagles here, you know, solo <laughs> at all times. And so it's nice to have, a, you know, the different groups, whether it's on Facebook or with the national speakers or if you're a Toastmasters person or whatever, yeah, I mean, those relationships are lifelong. And actually, my kids go to the National Speakers Association convention, which is called Influence. And it's every year in the absolute hottest place in the world. And, you know, they get that real good discount. But here's the thing, they go to this camp, meet all these other kids that are speaker kids. And these are the best kids you'll ever find. And it's so neat to integrate our families with our business and make it all work that way as well. So yeah, my speaker buddies are my favorite people of all time.
0: I want to go back to something you said earlier that um, when you are getting going, and I, my assumption would be even still today, that a lot of your success has come from two things. One, just hard work and perseverance, but two, it's just follow-up and having good systems in place. Could you talk a little bit more about that and what that, what that looks like on the business side?
1: Yeah, for me, the follow-up is simply right after the event, I'm contacting the client maybe in a text or a call, just a quick, you know, hey, thanks so much for having me. You're the best. I always take a selfie with the client. And what I do is I do something very simple that most people don't think about. I'll I'll print the picture at Walmart. I'll buy a little Hobby Lobby frame. I'll sign it, you know, because now I'm creating a celebrity out of myself, even though I'm not a real celebrity. And I'm sending it to the client as a thank you. What's fascinating is I've found through the years, a a client generally will have three things on their desk. They'll have a picture of their family, maybe a you know, portrait of Jesus and a picture with me. And that's kind of a nice. <laughs> in that order. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, And so what I'm saying is I do this follow up in the sense of these become my friends. We're Facebook friends. We're LinkedIn yeah. connected. We're, we're constantly back and forth. I actually then will follow up and I'll say, Hey, such a great event. You know, I know you guys are planning it in January for your October event. If I can recommend to you any other speakers, I'd be happy to. And generally, they'll come back and say, we've gotten such good reviews, we need to have you back. And that's a neat thing, obviously, but it's really neat for me when I get to say, here are three speakers you should consider. And if you can't have this one this year, you have them lined up for the next few till you need me back. That's really been a wonderful benefit, and a lot of my speaker buddies and I do that together. We yeah. just refer each other back and forth and say, oh, you had Mark Sharonbrock this year? Well, you need Jason Hewlett next year, and you need Clint Pulver this year, and you need Ross Bernstein that year, and we just kind of refer back and forth, and then to get the ladies involved, Connie Podesta and Christine Cashin, and we have all these connections that we can get
0: each other events. It's really nice you know it's kind of a unique world and i remember this is kind of a, an epiphany for me early on that like and in a lot of ways, we're all competitors, but at the same time, the pie is big enough for everybody, and not one person is going to be able to speak at anything. And so, like we are going to talk about, the model for most events is you may show up and do a great job, and they may not have you back for a couple of years. Well, I want to come back in a couple of years, and so I need to build that rapport and relationship with them between now and then. And so that may mean I say, Hey, I know you're not going to have me for a couple of years. You need to have my friend Jason, or you need to have uh, John over here, or Susie over there, and have these people in, because I know if you show up and do a good job, I mean- Makes me look good, and they're going to be a lot more likely to work with me in, in a few years. So it goes back to you know just the value of having those other relationships with speakers and and how much that can be helpful, just from like a uh, like a, a mental emotional state of just talking through the business, but also from a business uh, perspective of being able to just to share business and be able to send those leads am, uh, among each other.
1: Yeah, very well said. And you know, I I I say to my clients, I want to partner with you to plan your next event so that you continue to build on what we just did. And yeah. so let me let me help you find the right speakers. And so what's happened, Grant, is that now they're calling me and saying, okay, we need opening speaker, hump day speaker, closing speaker. We need an MC, and we need entertainment. What do you recommend? I mean, now all of a sudden I'm doing entire events just as a friend for all my friends. Yeah. And that's a neat place to be in, you know, a place of trust with your clients. It's a crazy level.
0: Yeah. Very cool. Hey, to wrap up here, what would you say to that speaker who's listening right now, who is where you were many years ago getting started? You know, one of the things we talk a lot about is, is uh, having the potential, but needing the plan, right? And you felt like I can do this if someone would just freaking give me a shot. So what would you say to that speaker who's getting going? They're trying to build some momentum. There's days where you feel like on top of the world and there's days where it feels super discouraging and you're wondering if it's worth it. What would you say to that, that speaker?
1: I would say if this is truly meant to be for what you want to do with your life and your career, then it's time to burn all ships and it's time to go for it. So whatever that looks like for you, if that means that you live in a 5,000 square foot home with a 3,000 a month payment, maybe it's time to scale back. Maybe you need to move into an apartment, save some money, find your lowest end of the amount of money you need to live on and then go figure out how you can make that work. That could be by going in and doing assemblies and and those kind of gigs that you're like, why would I ever want to do that? Well, if you don't want to speak at a school when you get started or you don't want to speak at a fair, then this probably isn't the right thing for you. Because there will be times when you're uh, landing at an airport and the connection you just missed requires you to drive all night one way in the dark from Detroit to Traverse City, dodging deer and never having been in the state. And you get there at 7 a.m., running from your car, deliver your presentation, and they don't even know what you just went through and you fly away. If you're not willing to do that, then this is not the place for you. But if you are that passionate about this kind of a career, you can make it happen. Because if guys like me and other guys that you've seen speak can do it, then so can you. It's just a matter of hustle and faith and, and love and passion for it.
0: Yeah. Totally agree, and There's probably a, a large percentage of people listening going like, that driving through the night thing just sounds really good if it means I get to go speak somewhere. Whereas <laughs> I'm sure a fair amount of the population is like, that just sounds like a horrible idea. I have no idea why you do that. So it reminds me several years ago, I had a a, a speaker buddy who was kind of new and kind of up and coming. And he called me and said, hey, I, you know, I miss connection and weather and something, something, something. And it was going to be like an eight hour drive. And he's like, what am I supposed to do? I was like, you start driving, dude. Like, you do not miss a gig. You do whatever you have to do, and so he made it went well. But uh, yeah, that's part of the just the love of the gig and love of the uh, the business. So uh, clearly, that's something that that uh, you have and something that uh, uh, has really benefited you. So thanks for sharing that with us today. So Jason, if people want to find out more about you and what you're up to, uh, where where can we go?
1: You know, my name is Jason Hewlett. J. A. S. O. N. H. E. W. L. E. T. T. And uh, Jason Hewlett.com is where, if if you want to look at some of what I do as a keynoter, I also have an online program at jhetraining.com. And uh, obviously, in no way does it compete with what you, Grant, have created because you have like a monstrous amount of greatness that you have provided. But well, all this is, is that I've created an online program called how to make a career from the stage. It's very nominal fee for anybody looking to to get six or seven hours worth of video a 55 page workbook just kind of how to get the mindset going figure out your message what's your audience and going for it so yeah there's there's a couple of different places but I'd love to connect on social media or wherever you want to and uh, it's wonderful to be on this podcast I'm I'm so impressed with what you've done for the community of speaking and uh, thank you for letting me be a part of it today man
0: Thanks, man. I appreciate the kind words. I'm very humbled. And uh, yeah, we, we enjoyed having you on here, man. This was a lot of fun. Right on. Take care. All right. There you go. Hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Speaker Lab podcast. And before you take off, don't forget, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a rating and review within iTunes. We read every single one of those. It helps, it, helps other people to find the show. Listen, we, we don't charge anything for you to listen to these. We don't have any ads or anything. We do this because we want to serve and support speakers like you. So one small favor we ask of you is that you would leave us some type of a rating and review. And again, we really, really do appreciate that. If you're looking for more help, support as a speaker as you build and grow your business at whatever stage you're at, don't forget to check out thespeakerlab.com, thespeakerlab.com. we got a ton of free resources and tools over there. So again, check it out over at thespeakerlab.com. All right, my friends, that wraps up today's episode. We appreciate you hanging out with us. We'll catch you next time. You're awesome.